Hey guys, welcome to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Centeno. On this podcast is where I get to ask questions like the nerd that I can be, looking to learn from the cool Christian nerds I know around me that have something to teach. Now let's dig in. I'm on the line with Bishop Mark Sharona. So excited about interviewing him today about something special that's been going on called the Issachar Initiative. Just to tell you a little bit about him, he's a life coach. He has uh, many books. He's authored many books. Uh, the most recent one is The Dead Prophet Society. That sounds so cool. I'm glad to have a copy. He also is a, a bishop over there in uh, Orlando, Florida, Church on the Living Edge. He's a TBN host. He has a TV program on the network. He's a globetrotter. He's all around speaking as an itinerant guest speaker. Revivalist Edge, he has a prolific, or he's a prolific theologian and philosopher Edge with him as well. He has more degrees than a thermometer. <laughs> and as a person, he is shockingly humble. And so I want you just to meet him and, and enjoy the conversation we're going to have today. Thank you for being on this uh, Cool Christian Nerd podcast, Bishop. It's an honor to be with you, Pastor Jamie. Great, great. Well, I want to get into this. Um, there's been some special things uh, I had the privilege of being a part of with this Issachar Initiative, and uh, I want more people to know about this. And so uh, the first question I would have is, I mean, one of the ways I would describe the Issachar Initiative is that it's a gathering that's representing the power of Pentecost to Pentecostal and charismatic leaders that we're inviting into the room. Uh, but it's a place where you want them kind of like theologically sound and you want it to be generationally transferable. So that's some of the ways and one of the ways I would describe it. Why don't you take a moment and kind of give us more substance to what this Sakaar initiative is to you? Okay, let me let me begin at the beginning. When Dr. Leonard Sweet, who is one of my dearest friends, whom I've known for well over two and a half decades, uh, mm -hmm. became my doctoral chair in theology in terms of applied semiotics. Semiotics is the study of signs. It goes back to the 19th century to a Frenchman who was a linguistic specialist and, uh, and semiotician um, who saw signs as both visual and linguistic. His name was Ferdinand de Saussure. Mm -hmm. um, in America, Charles Sanders Peirce uh, would be the father of American semiotics. Now, Peirce um, was Trinitarian in his thinking, and so uh, it was Peirce who proposed the sign, the signified, and the sign of fire. So, for example, and when we talk about a sign, if I were to take you to Orlando for the first time, and we were to get on, and you wanted to go to Disney World, and we were to get on 528 from the airport heading west, and then mm -hmm. got on I-4 going south, the first Disney exit is the Lake Buena Vista exit. Yeah. Um, and it'll say Disney World. Now, if you jumped out of the car and climbed up on the sign, you missed the purpose of the sign, thinking it was Disney World. Yeah. But the reality is you probably wouldn't do that because somewhere in your mind, you have a concept of what the sign signifies or signifies. So in your mind, when you see the sign Disney World, you think of all the images that the sign signifies. 
until we get to Disney World itself, we won't see that which is signified with a D, signified. Mm -hmm. So there's the sign, the signifier, and the signified. So the sign is the thing that points us to something. What it signifies or signifies is the image we have. And then the signified thing, it's the signifier, the original thing, is the actual experience. So when Jesus, for example, performed signs, they pointed to something that was expected in conceptual ways in the minds of the masses of Jews. However, what they signified often got distorted because their expectations of Messiah were political rather than um, a, the way God was revealing who the suffering servant was. They wanted a, a political king that was going to be like all the other nations and not one that would deliver them from sin, from degradation, and restore all of creation. So mm -hmm. when, when, Jesus, when Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 16, I believe it is, and they demand a sign, there, Jesus says, basically, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Uh, you guys, he says to the Pharisees, you are experts at, at interpreting the signs of the weather, but you can't interpret the signs of your times. Mm -hmm. And he says, no sign, and, and no sign is going to be given you except the sign of Jonah, which is where Jonah was swallowed up in, in, in the belly of, of a fish and later is resurrected uh, on Gentile territory. So he, he, their expectations of what the signs of the times meant um, had nothing to do with what they signified. And mm -hmm. so Jesus upset the apple cart. So when we talk about Issachar, because Jesus is the true Issacharian, he is, he, Nazareth is, in, is right on the border of Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So Jesus, even in his own physical experience and life, was raised in Issacharian territory because mm -hmm. he is, and I'm, anyway, so when, when we talk about the sons of Issachar, the classic verse we talk about is First Chronicles 12, verse 32, because right. the sons of Issachar were, the, were those that understood the times and knew what to do about it. And so the Issachar initiative really is about understanding the times, plural. Yeah. And that, that requires learning from the broad depth of the past in the flow of biblical history, as well as the flow of civilization's history, and knowing how patterns repeat themselves as signs and signals so that we can discern what we're looking at and accurately interpret it. Now, for us, uh, in particular, bringing up the Pentecostal piece, one of the things that I think we have struggled with hmm. in Pentecostalism and the charismatic world and, and the third wave movement is, um, is that a lot of times there's, um, there's a bent towards not understanding the times and we get caught up in conspiratorial theories and speculation and, and, and endless debates over things that have very little to do with a sound, solid biblical worldview and sound, solid hermeneutics as well as exegesis so that we can prophetically discern by the spirit as the community what has happened, what is happening, and what wants to happen. And mm -hmm. so Len and I came together and did an event from which I began to form uh, a, an idea of how do we bring together 
cross-cultural, diverse voices in all the generations that are willing to sit and dialogue. They don't have to have the same ideas. They, they, they can have differing opinions, but are willing to engage with scholars so that, the, so that Pentecostal and other brilliant scholars that realize that the future is really uh, going to be dependent on, on, on the Pentecostal movement um, in the church, both in, this, in the Southern Hemisphere, the Eastern Hemisphere, and the West. Um, and so mm. how do we learn to capture once again what it means to understand the times and know what to do from a solid theological core instead of a lot of popular theology that's based on, I got a revelation on Saturday night, I'm going to share it on Sunday morning, which can get really dangerous and, mm. and really not founded in the whole counsel of God. So that's kind of where all that comes from. Yeah, so when we're gathering, the idea from what I'm hearing you share is that we are almost saying, hey, we're all looking at these signs. You might see others. I might see these. But let's learn to interpret together. Let's learn to interpret the signs. Let's, let's see the biblical worldview. Let's make sure we're having the most refined version of that in our hearts so that when we go forward, we're able to speak from that place. Is that a little bit of it? Yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's part of it. So in, uh, so in other words, it's, 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 both, it's both the signs in scripture and in the signs in culture yeah. that are shaping what's going on because there are tr you know obviously when it comes to the future the entire development of what's called futurology which which is an academic discipline now since the 20th century um, is all about trends and cycles throughout history and so you know alvin toffler's the fourth wave was a classic book at the turn of, of my generation, the, the, the late baby boomer generation. And there's been a lot of books written by what are called futurists. Well, not every trend is trending towards truth. Yeah. And the church has to begin to discern that while we may want to be trendy, we're in the world, but not of the world. Right. And, and the trends that are trending away from truth cause us to accommodate the culture rather than speak to it with power. And so I think that's where the Issachar Initiative comes into play in terms of how do we tackle and, and there are some really big issues. I mean, if we look at right now, if we just let's just take the issue of how divided we are as a nation. Let's just take America, for example, or, yeah. and, and how divided we are and how we are divided ideologically Mm -hmm. and and not united theologically. Now, now, when I say united theologically, I, I'm not saying we all have to agree on every single jot and tittle of how we interpret the scripture, because within every community, there's a way of looking at scripture that predisposes us to see it a certain way. Yeah. But, I, but I do think that when we allow ideology to exalt itself above theology, we end up justifying hatred of one another, which isn't discerning the body of Christ. And there are some major issues. We both know that 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 are that are that that really require some tough conversations. The racial issue is going to require some real hard conversations with questions from every every place being put on the table, and us realizing, you know what, we don't we 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 don't need to divide over this how do we come to a place of healing so 
where do we recognize those signs and how do we come together so that they can be fulfilled in a way where we discover that Jesus has us all seated at the table, sharing the same bread and the same cup? And how do we come to wholeness, reconciliation, forgiveness, and all that will bring about transformation in us that could ultimately have an impact on the culture? That's just yeah. one, one of many examples. That's a, yeah, it's a good example. Now, we, we, we took a, a, a bird's eye view of some of the stuff with the Issachar Initiative, but I want to hone in on just how this all began to form and be shaped. Now, you were sharing about um, Leonard Sweet, but I, uh, what else is there in the backstory where this idea for the initiative started? Um, yeah, w- were you talking to some bishops and some pastors, some friends, and it seemed like you guys were, uh, again, talking on the, along the lines of the same wavelength and said, you know what, this, something like this needs to form. Uh, yeah, what's the backstory? Well, you know, part of it, I think for me, the backstory goes back for as long as I've been involved in ministry. So um, when I was, when I had my radical encounter with Christ at 19, not that I hadn't been exposed to the gospel, I was raised Presbyterian, I was, I went through the catechism at 12 years old, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So I was raised in a Presbyterian context, um, which had kind of both a social gospel um, as well as a somewhat um, Calvinistic approach to um, being formed and shaped in the community, which has served me well. I'm grateful for that. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm certainly not a reformed. I'm far more, you know, you, you grow and you, and you, and you adapt and you, you and I, I'm far more Wesleyan uh, in terms of how I view um, life in God and life in the spirit and, and actually for Pentecostalism, go back to Wesleyan pietism. So, so I'm far more Wesleyan in my thinking, um, uh, these days, but, you know, from the very beginning, Pastor Jamie, you know, I had prophetic bent. Um, I didn't know what to do with it. I had this sense of, um, how the prophetic was always from, from the very beginning, something that was, um, keen to me. I would read this. I, I devoured when I first had a radical encounter, really radical encounter with Jesus at 19. From then on, I began to immerse myself, particularly, believe it or not, in, in Moses and the Pentateuch. And, you know, ironically, he becomes the paradigm prophet um, because it's him who says, um, the Lord, your God, shall raise up a prophet like me, pointing to Christ. But he also begins to speak of a prophetic order. And I was fascinated by that, and I would devour, I'd read Isaiah over and over and over again. I'd read Jeremiah. I'd, I, I, I'd read Ezekiel. This stuff just, it was, I was hungry for something, and then I, as I began to look at how does that all connect with the new covenant and, and the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy, those things had been mulling over in me over the course of a long time. So by the time I got to uh, where we are now, I had begun to have, I've been seeding conversations for quite a while mm-hmm. with various leaders. And one thing led to another. And it just kind of, there came a moment where I just said, you know what, let's just put this out there and see if anybody wants to come and sit at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I recall, I mean, you, cause you were part of those original conversations we had mm-hmm. on the phone. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of where that all had its beginning. Yeah, yeah. That people don't realize, like the fact that something like this is not an overnight. And I knew this wasn't an overnight. I realized that this was formed and shaped throughout time and many conversations and things that God is doing. And then the whole timing of it, when it was presented to get it going, um, very interesting and needed in this hour. Um, But I, I remember when the first conversations were beginning to happen and it was being formed, it almost was like, I don't know if this is a great way of describing it, but like almost a secret society of, <laughs> hey guys, we're gonna we're bringing this out the closet a little bit. We're not trying to bring it all out into public eyes as much as here are some people that I trust and I want to reveal this to as well. So you were intentionally selective at who you were inviting to be in the room at first. Um, is that still the case? Yeah, I you know what what. <laughs> of all you know obviously because we live in a in a postmodern uh, sort of a a world even in the church there are so many voices out there that are saying things that are seemingly going in all these different directions and and I, and I want to be very careful here how I say what I say but I'm you know there are certain trends even within the church world that I think are trending away from the faith once for all delivered to the saints and they they're popular and not only are they popular they're gaining momentum and um masses of people are being influenced by certain kinds of thinking that i don't think you know as i look at scripture and as as i engage with men and women of god that have handled scripture for generations and as i engage with scholars um they share the same concerns and yet there's not been a real voice for how about we consider it this way instead of that way because i think a lot of things have caused the church to accommodate the culture rather than incarnate christ in the culture so in terms of a secret it was just more you know how do we do this carefully and wisely and maybe maybe invite another perspective into this conversation before before we um wake up 20 years from now and wonder how did the church get already we've lost the culture war but it's almost as if now there are all sorts of ways in which um people are preaching things that i want to say where are you getting that from Mm. this is not scriptural and so um that's kind of where that came from and 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 finding enough voices that are courageous enough to come together as one and say you know what we don't buy into a lot of this consumer driven christianity uh, we we want the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and we want to get into the meat and potatoes of what is spread for us at the table of the Lord. Yeah, because I mean, you're gathering, you know, Pentecostals and charismatic leaders of different persuasions, and some don't know each other, some do know each other, but they're still willing to come into the room to really explore together what the Spirit is saying and and learn and glean from one another. Now, I know you're still. There's a sense where I like the fact that you're still willing to be comfortable with mystery and still exploring Mm -hmm. at the totality of what it's going to look like. Um, But what can people like currently, what can they kind of experience, can people expect if they were like to come to some of these past initiatives? What, What do you say is some of the things that are pretty 
um, concrete, uh, but other things that are still flowing and being explored? Well, I think one of the things that I think that that is is part of the experience is that there are lectures lecture that you know 30 to 40 minute lectures by scholars as well as one or two seasoned voices that have got a long track record in ministry mm -hmm. and then we do these 18 minute ted type talks various subjects from various differing um, theological perspectives that we all get to listen to from thought leaders in every generation and then begin to engage on those. So, I, so again, I think what's evolving is we want to create contagion for a conversation is really very exciting, but often isn't talked about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the Gospel Coalition has cornered the market on reformed conversations. Mm -hmm. And I love many of the voices in the Gospel Coalition. However, I don't share their view on women in ministry. I don't share their view on, on pneumatology. Um, I, you know, I think there are things we agree on, but I think there are things we can add value to that conversation and bear witness to Pentecost in a way that invites a larger conversation amongst us instead of us sitting at their table having to listen to them without being able to say, but wait a minute, there are other ways of looking at these texts that are still faithful to the tradition, faithful to the scripture, and faithful to what I'm, you know, again, I'm going to go back to the Wesleyan quadrilateral and, and a hermeneutic that includes a community called the Pentecostal community that you just can't dismiss. I mean, John MacArthur wants to dismiss the Pentecostal community in a very ad hominem way and attack and destroy and profane something that the Holy Spirit himself is doing. And we have actually got a seat at the table theologically. We have yeah. a seat at the table academically. And we do have a right to speak into this thing with authority, with scholarship, and with the conviction that the Holy Spirit has given us something that is essential for us to look at, not to bear witness to everybody's got to talk in tongues, but to bear witness to the spirit of Pentecost, which, which is all about something far more than simply the gifts of the spirit. Although the Holy Spirit is, is foundational to everything we're doing. And so I think that's kind of where I would think people would want to come expecting that kind yeah. of thing. No, it's good. I mean, spirit filled, but biblically sound thought processes and, and what God is saying. I think it's important what you said that we we need to be seated at the table. Sometimes we're talking about somebody that's not even at the table. And I think we all, our brothers and sisters, deserve the right to at least give from what God is showing us, our perspective, because it can be unfair to the hearer and it can cause biases and prejudices that can be created that just further the division and the schisms that we have in Christianity. So, yeah, I think it's great you're bringing that people around the table to have a seat at the table. Yeah, I, and I think it's important. I think the scandal of our divisions um, is such that um, it's a grievous thing to the Holy Spirit. And somehow, I, 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 my heart's desire is to see that we learn how to come together in the unity of the Spirit and the yeah. bond of peace. That's my heart's desire for all of this, you know, so. So about four gatherings, I believe so far, about? Um, three, 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 
Okay, so three so far, and I'm sure after those gatherings, there's many conversations of, hey, what was what else was happening with what we saw take place? So I know there's a bunch of things that you're having conversations about with, with leaders and others, and it's only been three gatherings so far. But based on how it's been going, what is your Issacharian instinct uh, to what the future of this gathering could look like? Well, I, I, I have this sense because I think we're, we're perfecting some things. So I think this third event invited a, a, a larger perspective on what could happen. And so now I think we're ready to um, make a menu um, and a table available uh, for many more people to come and participate. We ha I thought we had a phenomenal response because we've not really promoted it largely nationally. Now, this past year, I used my, um, much of my influence with various leaders around the country and overseas um, to open that up. Uh, and, and so we, we had quite a few delegates, more than we did in those initial two meetings where it was just by invite only. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think moving forward now, we've got the digital magazine that's launching this week um, on the Issachar website, and people can subscribe to it where they're going to get to see um, many of the, the talks and, and, and get to take notes and, and raise questions. But then from there, we are going to create further conversations um, so that as the, as the event grows, there will be dialogue groups and focus groups. Um, where we begin to engage a level of, of what wants to happen. How do we think through this? Um, you know, Malachi 3.16, they that feared the Lord came together and spoke often one to another. Mm -hmm. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. Um, so somehow have the kind of conversations that God says, I'm, I'm going to get involved in this uh, because you, you're, you're, you're saying and doing things that are tied to what my spirit is in is desirous of bringing forth in 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 the current culture so i think that's where i think that's where it's going yeah it seems like it's not just going to be based on the gathering once a year or twice a year but actually trying to use technology and the digital universe to sort of like how can we keep this conversation going absolutely how can you have content accessible to you and let's see what the spirit does with that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, yeah, to me, ultimately, the Issachar Initiative is a conversation. It's a conversation. Yeah, that's great. Now, I know it. you would know as well, like, it's not for everybody. Um, so people, some people have a lot going on and they have some things that might be what they are and, and commitments and what have you, or just, there's just some people, I mean, we, we talk about there's a, Pentecostal and charismatic Ben, if you're comfortable with that, you know, you're welcome to be a part of that dialogue, but it isn't for everybody. So who should be the people who highly consider participating in the Issachar initiative and, you know, why those people? Well, I think anyone who has a passionate desire um, to see and hear um, what the spirit is saying and unashamedly embraces the fact that that God hasn't ceased doing what he's done, that God continues to manifest his glory, his power, his grace, that the spirit who is with us is the same spirit 
that dwelt in Jesus, that operated in him, in, in, in Nazareth and in Galilee and um, in the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament, that that same spirit is present with us to do all that he has ever done. And signs and wonders still follow the proclamation of the gospel. The yeah. gospel has to be preached in the demonstration of the spirit and power. And I think there are dynamics of the spirit that have to include people and the principled as well as the supernatural. Right. And, 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 I, and I think that, that, that it's not either or, it's both and. And, um, and I think we come from a really solid place of scholarship because we've got some of the finest Pentecostal and Wesleyan scholars that are, that are part of Issachar. Um, that would benefit anyone that's hungry for that, that's a pastor that, or, or, or someone involved in apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic work that really wants to have solid footing on why they are operating in the conviction they're operating in. I think they would be tremendously enlarged in their capacity for um, hungering and thirsting after righteousness and after truth um, to be involved in building conversations with those that are part of Issachar. Yeah, that's why I said in the beginning that I really see this as a representing and promoting of the power of Pentecost. Yeah. Um, this is a, it's just kind of like where we've learned a lot throughout the years and we've taken a lot and and there's some things that need to be represented because it might have gotten lost in translation. And the culture has probably threw some dirt on those wells. And we're here redigging some of those wells that, you know, our forefathers dug. And that's a, that's a great metaphor. Isaac redigging the wells of, of his father, Abraham. That's a perfect metaphor for what I think we're doing. Yeah. So this is great. Even. Thank you so much for this interview. I, I feel like even though we're talking about the Issachar Initiative, I think people are getting so much more than just that and, and have an opportunity to pray or consider how they can be a part of this wonderful work that's happening with that. Now, how can people learn more about the Issachar Initiative if they want to learn more about it? Well, they can, they can go to the issacharinitiative.com and um, the issacharinitiative.com and they can subscribe to the monthly um, digital magazine which is going to give them and we're going to keep we've got tons of footage and we're going to be posting articles and blogs so they can start there they can also um, they can go, usually on my website there's something about issachar uh, although we're directing everything towards the issachar initiative they could log on to marksharona.com as well and find out a little bit about, you know, where I'm going with all of that, um, for sure. That's great. Well, there you have it, guys. I mean, I think the, the what's been formed and what's been gathered together after these couple of meetings with ISCAR Initiative, this is a great time for people to really come in and see what's taking place and help begin to shape the future of what this looks like. Thank you again, Bishop, for Thanks, sharing. It's always rich when we get to talk. Bless you, man. Well, thanks for joining us. And that's our time for this week's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast where you can get your digital discipleship fix. Till next time.